Hey, Rockheads. If you haven't already checked out Music to Code By, you really should, especially if you need to focus on anything, like programming. But it's not just good for programming. It's also great for kids doing homework. It's great for reading, great for writing, anything that requires your concentration. The results speak for themselves. I've got hundreds of satisfied customers. Go check out their comments at mtcb.pwop.com. That's mtcb.pwop.com. .NET Rocks, episode 1190, with guest Bryce Fernandez. Recorded Thursday, August 27th, 2015. Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And it's .NET Rocks time again. Here we are. Oh, I love to be back in the studio. It's just so fun. Nice. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. I, you know, it's it's fall again. The, uh, the conference season's in full swing. Next week is Tech Intersection in Monterey, California, which That's is right. going to be an adventure. So You know what's amazing? It's like the day the kids go back to school, it gets cold <laughs> in Connecticut. <laughs> it, it was steaming hot the night before, and then all of a sudden, boom, It's over. It's all about school. Yep. I went back to the School of Hard Knocks. That's what I did. Oh, My first okay. day back. Yep. Anyway, let's oh. roll the crazy music because I got something apropos for right. today's show. All right, buddy, what do you got? Have you heard of X Gaming? X Gaming? X Gaming.com. They make a console called X Arcade, which. Uh, is programmed with thousands of games or it works with, I don't, I don't know if it's programmed with games, but it's a controller for all the old arcade games. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is one of those, uh, you know, emulation machines that has every of the old games in it. Right. And it plugs into a PC or Mac, but it also plugs in any game console. It has adapters for everything. So it's wow. got joysticks, rollerballs, buttons, you know, one player, two player. Uh, and there you go. So, uh, they also make a machine and this is like an eighties arcade machine an upright yeah, and upright with 250 games programmed into it. Wow. And they also make a stand up console. That's just the console that you can plug in any HD TV. That's like $2,500. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I just don't know that I want to, you, know, you know, what Kerbal's eating up enough of my life. Yeah. <laughs> right. Do right. I really want? I don't need Robotron back. That's not good. Yeah, I mean, there are some neat videos there, but you know, if you're one of those guys or girls that was really into the '80s arcade thing, it was different than you know it TV was. consoles. It was a different experience. It was arguably a more social experience being in the arcade. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting. It's an interesting question. Certainly, games had a, because of the limitations in hardware, they had a real diversity to them. Yeah, they really did. It wasn't all fighting and driving games. Right, right. All right. Well, anyway, that's what I found today. I'm not saying that I'm buying one of these or endorsing them in any way, but I found it because, you know, it's all about gaming today. So There you go. Yeah. Who's talking to us, Richard? I grabbed a comment off of show 910, and that's the one we, we did with uh, um, 
Andrea Magorsky and uh, her co-founder, Andrew O'Connor, we were talking about building a game with .NET. Yeah. And we had a lot of conversation about Unity and other related technologies in there. And it was a big conversation about XNA. Mm. Uh, and uh, Tuka Turto, actually, this is from a couple of years ago, said, hey, this was a great show. I really enjoyed listening to it. A friend of mine has been working on a 3D game using XNA and recently tried out Unity as well. He had similar thoughts as Andrea and Andrew and disliked how we do not have full control over the game code. Because, mm. you know, Unity is a big framework, right? right. They, 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 there's certain rules you have to live in it. Uh, since XNA is no longer being developed, because XNA was already on its way out even back then, although now I wonder if it's going to be back. Mm. Is there any existing or upcoming frameworks that a C-sharp coder could use? Duality is great, but it's really aimed for the 2D, and we're really trying to make a 3D kind of uh, game. And, of course, the obvious stack is where a lot of that XNA thinking went, which was Mono Game. Mm. And I'll include a link to Mono Game if anybody's not looked at it recently, but, you know, that's a great open source project for taking on that uh, cross-platform game development story. So they're not talking about Unity where there's where you do C-sharp, but it's just basically scripting and event handling and right, things. But right, well, we, we did talk about Unity in that context. I think that's one of the reasons they weren't so keen about Unity is that you're living in that scripting world. Right, they're talking about the full stack. Yeah, if you're talking, if you're a C-sharp guy, the scripting world of Unity is, you know, really constraining. But, you know, we'll get further into that. But I, I thought it was a great comment and just uh, fun to uh, to dig into this whole thinking space again. So, uh, Tuka, thank you so much for your comment. .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or on any of the social media because we post every show to Facebook and Google+. And, of course, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Please tweet us. Uh, before we get any further, though, let me tell you that Pluralsight is home to the largest technology and creative training library on the planet. They have thousands of developer, IT, and creative courses authored by MVPs and industry experts. They release dozens of new courses every month and still offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access. Pluralsight has a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, Unity, and pretty much anything you can think of on the Microsoft stack. Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. Which brings us to Bryce. Bryce Fernandez is the co-creator of the Complete Unity Developer Course, an online course teaching game development in Unity to over 42,000 students. He's also a mentor and coach at the University of Cambridge Judge Business School Startup Accelerator and the founder of the Cambridge Programmers Study Group. He is now developing another course to teach people F-sharp. Welcome, Bryce. Hi, Carl. Uh, hi, Richard. How's it going? Well, yeah, pretty good. Let's start with that whole idea of unity and scripting. You know, Richard's um, comment was that, you know, it can be pretty constraining, but it can also be pretty liberating because it doesn't require you to do all of that uh, goo that game developers do with or can do with code. A lot of that is uh, declarative. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's quite interesting to um, have a look at a framework like that. It's the trade-off between kind of power and ease of use, I guess, right. um, that you're seeing in, in action, in practice. Have you done so any um, real low-level game programming outside of Unity? Outside of Unity? No, I haven't, actually. Uh, I, I did some low-level programming as part of my embedded job, but that was uh, quite different from um, low-level game code. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've played around with some... Um, Game engines, physics engine, mm -hmm. um, which was quite interesting. I was, um, look, uh, my background is in physics. So, ah. um, I was doing all the physics simulation stuff, which was quite fun. But otherwise, no, um, 
And uh, yeah. And you, do you like it that way? Did you ever come across anything where you said, you know, man, I wish I could go deeper in here and, you know, get around this brick wall or something? Honestly, um, I think most of the stuff I've done in Unity, um, it's been about the gameplay and about the game experience and not so much about the, the you know, the performance aspect of the game. Yeah. And uh, worrying more about, you know, how the user, uh, how the player is going to feel about this particular scene or this, this particular experience um, matters a lot more. And uh, having to, being able to just concentrate on that and forget about the low level stuff is actually quite nice. Um, yeah. Well, um, how did you come across being a physics guy? Did you just say, um, you know, uh, this looks pretty good. Let me try this. Or did, had you tried other gaming engines before Unity? Uh, so yeah, like Unity, um, really, we, we kind of picked it simply because of its ease of use. We we're about the education, right? So we wanted to do a game development course. Um, and we picked the engine afterwards. And uh, Unity was picked. Basically, we, we looked at all the choices, uh, the, the big choices that people really wanted to learn more about. And we picked Unity because it was so easy to get started in. Um, and because it gave you so much. So I mean, we've had uh, we've experienced nine-year-old kids in half an hour building a game that they can actually play. And I mean, like a game with a goal and some rules and um, some possible failure and win conditions. And they they can get into um, building that something like that in Unity in you know half an hour to an hour, uh, which is what really excited us. And I might this is a good time to talk about Udemy, which is where you hosted this at Udemy.com. U D E M Y. Um, I came across this before. I came across this course when I was looking at the, the, the tutorials that were on unity3d.com. And for $29, I guess, because of the, uh, 86% discount you're giving .NET Rocks listeners, you can take this 48 hour course, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's not finished yet. We're, we're going to continue growing the course. So 48 hours is what, um, it's um, the length of the course right now, uh, but we're ad actually adding a couple of sections to that, which are going to be multiple hours each. Um, so yeah, it's it's quite um, it's quite it's been an epic journey. Like we're we're talking now about a year's worth of work on this course. Wow! Um, with two of us working on it, and um, I mean it's forty eight hours of available content, but we probably recorded production quality content um, probably around ninety hours altogether. We just had oh to re-record and re-record and re-record. Uh, we've kind of re-recorded certain sections of the course three times. So it's uh, it's it's been quite the journey to get here. Actually, it's been uh, fun and um, but yeah. Yeah, and so you can uh, develop, what, is there seven games in this tutorial? So, yeah, so what, we, what we're what we doing is we, we really care about getting the students engaged. So every section is a project and every project is a finished game. And um, every game is, so every section has a, a kind of end state, which is a game. Um, and the student has a lot of potential to explore their creativity. So uh, they can kind of take a project and then be creative about how they deliver that particular type of game, um, which is what, something we've really concentrated on to make sure that the students could um, really show them their skills and their imagination of, um, okay. because that seemed to us to really matter. Like students uh, wanted to, like basically your prime directive is make your students feel awesome yeah. and to be able to kind of let them explore their own creativity is what each project is all about so i'm i'm interested in how much of gaming and doing gaming with unity is art and how much is you know wiring and connecting and uh scripting and all of that stuff the art is kind of important isn't it um, so you mean like the, the 3D modeling yeah. and the texturing and stuff like that? Uh, so yeah, I mean, that, um, 
that matters, right? But interestingly, um, game, like game design itself, um, isn't about art. You can get really fantastic games with almost negligible amount of art. Um, so some of it, it will matter a lot, right? Uh, but the, uh, for example, I was at a, um, at a game jam recently uh, called Brains Eden and the winning team actually had a bunch of coders and no artists and because of that because of that constraint right they managed to get a game that was all about the system and it was a fantastic game to play and that was built in Unity uh, so art isn't necessary to make a great game um, it's nice if your if your game is about art um, and then Unity gives you something pretty cool uh, which is really a, like a a pretty special um value proposition for Unity, which is the asset store, uh, which as a developer, right, I love going on the asset store, grabbing an asset pack with, say, 500 different um, RPG characters and just plonk, putting them into my game and uh, yeah. using them straight away. So that's that's one thing that actually, like the leveraging the asset store, but using the art from the asset store lets kind of developers like us do cool stuff uh, mm. as well. So. Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wonder if this isn't also a good time to just sort of back up a little bit and give the uh, people who aren't familiar with Unity a sort of an overview of what it is and, and what we can do with it as C-sharp developers. Yeah, sounds good. Like So um, basically, Unity is a game, uh, a game editor. It's a game framework uh, with a game editor. So the framework has a bunch of code that can run physics, can run, can run collision detection, uh, can run AI, et cetera, et cetera. So that, it gives you a whole library of code to be able to use in-game. And as well as that, it actually gives you an editor to build games. So those are the two components. And then the third component is the asset store, where you can grab assets and put them into your game. So that's kind of the three-part Unity. Um, the Unity com company actually offers additional services for kind of releasing your game and stuff like that. But what you might download as a free version is um, all the kind of the, the editor, the all the set of libraries that let you build games really quickly and the uh, access to the asset store. And um, what's really cool about Unity, I mean, for .NET Rocks and for .NET, list, .NET Rock listeners is um, really it's all C Sharp. So you can really kind of dig in straight away. Um, and, this, and the C Sharp is sort of like... Uh, you know, there's there's events for when things happen. So, like when a, a collision happens between your um, oh, I don't know, a bullet and what it's going to hit. You know, you can trigger an explosion or something like that. I mean, that's the kind of code that you're typically writing, like a one to two line uh, event handling stuff, right? I mean, obviously, it gets big, it gets more complex than that, but it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like every event is going to essentially turn into a method call on some class you're writing. And um, if you have the right method name, you'll get the event. And um, you can just essentially just trigger another action, do some AI work, that kind of stuff. And um, it's from the code perspective, it's, it's very simple. I mean, uh, we had some comparison recently about kind of you know, uh, enterprise C sharp and then Unity C sharp, and um, a lot of people said, "Well, I, I wouldn't ever write code like that in my enterprise code." And yeah, that's that's true because game code is different. Yeah. Um, so you kind of Unity supports the game way of building code rather than the enterprise way of building code. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by Harvest. Harvest is a time tracking tool built for understanding where your time is going, and for developers, it takes the pain out of time tracking. You can start a timer right from issues in Jira or GitHub without searching for your timesheet. Not only will you understand how much time you're spending on client work, 
you'll be able to turn your billable hours into an invoice from Harvest in minutes. Harvest integrates with PayPal and Stripe to make it easy to get paid. And .NET Rocks listeners get a special deal. Create a free 30-day trial at getharvest.com, and after your trial, enter code .NET Rocks, spelled out, to save 50% off your first month. The uh, Yeah, it's sort of the reality of it. it's just a different coding style entirely. You're thinking about things in a different way. It's And it's not so much that you're about maintenance and that you're about you know, responsiveness. You, you, yeah. Somebody clicks to fire, you got to fire right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's, it's, it's about responsiveness of the, the code itself when you're creating like the game artifact. But it's also, um, I think, a lot more about collaborating with non-technical people. The game mm. itself is going to be built by artists, game designers, uh, game writers, translators, etc. Right. And, and the, you're no, you're not just shipping a piece of software. You're shipping a piece of art. You're sh- shipping a piece of literature. You're shipping a story. And being able to collaborate with those people, um, needs to happen much faster than you would in an, enter- in an enterprise, um, product, I think. Um, and that kind of drives some of the decisions uh, that are made that kind of compromise the, uh, I guess the, the, the cleanliness of, um, the code you write. Right. Um, but on the other hand, it lets you get a designer who doesn't really know how to script, um, being able to change some of the internals of how your AI works, um, just to make the design of the game feel better from the player's point of view. So like you can, you know, have public, uh, fields and yeah, it's kind of, that's how you do it in Unity and it's okay, um, because it gives you so much, um, so much flexibility to work with kind of the designer and to change things really, really quickly mm. um, and to prototype things. So like if you're in the editor, you can press the play button and then start playing around with some of those public fields while the game is running to see what would happen. Uh, and that is something that you don't necessarily need in if you're releasing a web app. But to be able to do it in a game is absolutely vital because a lot of it is exploration. Right. You're exploring that space of kind of how does the AI behave? How does um, the collision detection behave? How does the gravity and the physics behave? So you're exploring that space to get to a great feel for the game. And you need the tools that support the exploration. And um, the cleanliness of your code is less important making that exploration uh, happen uh, quickly, if that makes sense. Now, where can a Unity game go? In other words, what platforms does it support? And is does it look exactly the same on every platform? Um, it's a case of where can it not go? So uh, it'll go on all mobile platforms, um, Android, iOS, Windows Phone. Uh, so th- those are supported. It'll go on PS4, PS3, Xbox One, Xbox 360, PC, Mac, Linux. And um, there are two different ways of releasing to the web. There's a WebGL build, um, which is still um, kind of in... It's not, I, I think they, uh, Unity is not willing to say it's production ready, but from our experience, it works pretty well. Mm. Um, and there's the, there's a, um, web plugin as well. For like um, Flash so those or are kind of just, yeah, yeah, it's like a Unity plugin. Um, mm. but that's being kind of deprecated because of Chrome's decision to, um, kind of no longer really support plugins. Right. Um, and, uh, we, I, I think, I mean, Honestly, looking at the future, that seems to be the right decision. Yeah, sure. Um, but, um, so, I mean, so right now we're kind of transitioning to the WebGL for web builds, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's more what platforms can you not release to? Right. And that, <laughs> and that runtime is, um, fairly substantial too, isn't it? The, 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 the support files that are needed or um, how, what I, does it look like? 
So yeah, I mean, like the runtime is it is pretty substantial. Uh, so sometimes you're, I mean, it's certainly if you're uh, shipping the runtime with it, um, you might end up with quite a large artifact that mm-hmm. you're putting on the device. But you do have options to compile to native as well. So the um, the actual um, compilation and game uh, artifact creation um, lets you um, choose kind of what you're shipping, uh, depending on the platform. Obviously, there's such a broad range of platforms. That's not this true for all platforms. Mm. But for example, for iOS, um, you can uh, compile to native and ship native instead of shipping the runtime, if that makes sense, if I'm making any sense right now. Wow. Can you give us a sense of what kind of sizes we're talking um, we're talking, I mean, it, it depends on your game a lot. And sure. actually, um, the runtime itself isn't going to be the biggest component of your, your ship, uh, your ship game. Most of the time, that's going to be your art, um, yeah. your audio files, uh, your textures, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So really, I think if you're building a game, you're, you're, it's very unlikely you're going to be, um, restricted by the runtime. We might talk one or two megs, I think, um, yeah. depending on whether you, a, a, AOT compile it or whether you're, um, shipping the runtime with the actual game and um really like um that's that's the kind of size that you're kind of overhead if that makes sense but most of the uh, the actual cost is going to be in your actual game now that being said as an avid kerbal player which is i think by most people's standards the most craziest unity 3d (laughs) game ever made like yep that, that sounds fair my biggest problem with Kerbal, because I use, they have this massive community of plugins and things, is running out of memory. Right? I actually have a little plugin running that shows me how much memory it's currently consuming and gives me warnings that I'm getting close to memory limit and the game is going to fail. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so I, I get like, an, the nice thing is it's almost a Pomodoro effect. I can only play for about an hour before <laughs> I run out of memory. Ah, Then wow. it's like, it's time to stop anyway. So, you know, maybe that's one of the things that you're, you're trading off when you don't have low level control. You don't have low level control right. and you're not able to manage your memory as efficiently. I mean, fundamentally, that's exactly the case, right? And, um, you can see the dif- difference in performance as well for like, you don't have the low level control. So you don't, you can't get that very high level of performance. And should we even um, talk about the 64 bit version of Unity? Uh, no. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. Not yet. I don't, not I'm yet. not done with performance though. I, I do remember, I think. In you know, in taking one of these tutorials, that you can at particular points remove things from memory, like you do have uh, the ability to do that, don't you? Uh, remove things from memory. Um, For example, if you don't, if, if you're firing shots in the air and they yeah. just run off the screen, and they'll essentially keep going unless you. Oh, no, like right, right. Yeah, that's, unless that's you... basic optimization, right? So we're talking yeah. about basic optimization here, and uh, there's a whole bunch of different ways of kind of stopping that those kind of things from happening, um, either from you know putting a trigger on the object so that whenever it stops being visible to the player, it gets destroyed automatically right. um, to putting a kind of a shredder in the scene so that whenever something hits the shredder, it gets de- de- destroyed and removed from memory. Right. So there's a bunch of different techniques, but I think even with those, you'll still have a performance overhead because you're in a managed environment. Right. And um, I imagine so, I mean, it's are... the complexity of your environment too. Like Kerbal is space, right? Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a big, yeah. you know, area for you to be. The, and I think they've done a really good, like the thing you'll notice if you play Kerbal is mm-hmm. a they have to keep track of all the ships you've currently got flying right now they keep it as small as possible but the reality is in order to know if you're flying towards a planet or towards a ship or anything like that they have to keep compute where they are all the time and they've simplified the gravity model as a guy who knows the complex end problem of gravity quite well 
Yeah. Uh, the what you'll as a developer, I really appreciate is when I when I'm approaching a ship, and I get within two point five kilometers of that ship, that ship loads, and if it's a big ship. You know it. <laughs> the whole game stops. Well, here comes that ship. Mm. And physics only up the detail. So they, they've created layers of physics computation. So there's simple physics. They call it being on rails when you're more than two and a half kilometers away from an object. It's just on rails. It'll do what it's going to do. So if it's in a reentry orbit, it's just going to reenter. It's not going to break up. It's not going to explode. But I have flown beside a ship within 2.5 kilometers that did break up and explode, which, by the way, is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but you understand how much more work it was. So, you know, what the brilliance of the guys who built uh, Kerbal is, is setting those rules. And even then, and I think it's, mo I don't think it's them. I think it's all of the add-ins. Stuff's leaking memory all the time. Yeah. So when I first load up my big game, the one I've been playing for a while, it, I consider it's like a garden you're building. My memory, I'm at th almost three gigs of RAM consumed on the load. Wow. Okay. And it just yeah. steadily goes up. And somewhere around 3.8, it's over. And you find that the more you travel through space, the more that happens, Richard? Or is yep. it just, yeah. And, and, and I can burn out that memory in 10 minutes hopping ships. So it's something about some of the pieces that are loaded on some of those ships. They're, it's a memory leak. I mean, I, and I, I never stop being a developer while I'm playing a space game. It's like, dude, that gas tank's got a memory leak. <laughs> so it, it, it doesn't feel like it's a fundamental Unity issue, right? It feels yeah. like more like there's memory leaks in the code that's left there. That's and right. Unity itself won't leak memory if you're using all the right tools, right? And you're using right. it the right way. Yeah. But, um, so I think it feels more like it's, um, it's, it's, it remains easy to create that, that, you, that problem. Uh, because of, you know, modules not loading and unloading themselves properly rather than because it's a fundamental Unity limitation. Well, you know, yeah. we found the same problem with a lot of early Visual Basic programs, oh, right? Oh, sure. It feels exactly like that, Carl. You're like, you're not wrong. Yeah, because a lot of the people who were building those applications weren't low-level developers. They were high-level business people, and, you know, they're not all that hip to uh yeah. Well, and, and part problem. of that is you would think the Unity environment would be diligent about cleaning up after people, no, too, it, because... Yeah. In the end, an awful lot of these people building these add-ins, dude, they're just making text files. I've read them. <laughs> yeah. Right? It ain't yep. voodoo. Yep. So, you know, there's – I don't want to leave – let Unity totally off the hook here because some of this has got to be mm -hmm. the Kerbal game engine not cleaning up well as well. Well, the, the, the example that I gave is really um, a typical example, right? You have this code that fires a shot off into space, and if you don't catch it at the edge of your viewport and, you know, and trigger – and in the trigger, destroy it, it will just continue going on and there will be code actually that is moving the trajectory of that bullet right. infinitely until you're done playing. And therefore, the more you, uh, you know, the more that you fire, the, you could see your memory going down. Sure. So the number of ships I have in my game matters. Yeah. So, so what I'm saying is, it isn't really Unity's job to look at your code and say, ah, you're, you know, this is out of view. Because you may want it to be in view, you know, it, but it does provide the mechanism for you to clean up after yourself. I think, you know, my argument is that, you know, the developers that are getting into this stuff probably do it because they're not into the low-level stuff and may not be hip to memory leaks and stuff like that, you know. Well, basically, like, the ease of access of Unity 
gives the people who developers don't don't necessarily have the expertise or even would think of uh, managing their memory yeah um, the ability to make a game and then you can get memory leaks and memory problems yeah so i I think that's like it's a double-edged sword right it's you're giving somebody a really accessible tool to do cool stuff um and then saying well he's doing cool stuff but something's going slightly wrong is um, I think it's not very, it's not a really fair judgment, if that makes sense, because if you didn't have the really ease of access, the cool stuff would never happen in the first right, place. Right. So saying cool stuff is happening and I'm getting a memory leak, uh, or the, where, where the alternative is cool stuff wouldn't be happening in the first place. Yeah. Is that a good defense, Richard? Am, am I convincing you right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, and of course, uh, then, then you, then we get to the 64 bit question. Hey, if we had 64 bit, yeah. I have lots of RAM in this machine. It's not actually yeah. fixing the problem. Yeah, right. It's just delaying it. It's right? sort of the same way that, you know, we stopped talking about memory leaks when everybody upgraded to 64 bit windows. Right. <laughs> it just <laughs> but, doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah but it, at the same time, we got better about leaking memory. And the, yeah, but the reality yeah. is, I think the 64 bit version of Unity isn't up to it. Like basically, Kerbal on 64 bit is not playable. Well, and and also, you know, it, that limits where it can go too, right? I, you know, I I am smitten enough with this game that I bought a monitor because it looks better playing Kerbal. That's so cool. And I would build wow. a machine if you told me the best way to run Kerbal flat out was on a Linux box because it's a Linux version of Kerbal. Mm. I would build it, hmm. you know, just to have the optimal experience. Yeah. So, how many hours have you got? How how many hours of like Kerbal Commander have you got? According to Steam, somewhere in the neighborhood of 600. All right, that's, that's pretty decent. <laughs> that's a pretty decent number of I, hours. I only met the game. game in January. Now, let's add this up, Richard. Wow. How much do you, how much, uh, what is your hourly rate for consulting? Let's yeah, find out, you know, know, how expensive yeah. this game is for you. <laughs> but it is literally a palm, that, that giving my, and I play at an hour at a time, right? It's yeah. very much, a, I'm going to go do a mission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, and then it's, st- and then I shut it down again and go off to do something else and come, you know, it's my reward. That's my stress relief. Yeah. Mm. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah. Time to upgrade your machine to 128 gigs of RAM so you can play Kerbal for two <laughs> hours at a time. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's time to give away a D-Experience subscription from Developer Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant .NET solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation, touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Tom Kuhn. Ah, congratulations, Tom. Golf yeah. clap to you, sir. Golf clap for Tom. Brought out the awesome. clappers for Tom Kuhn. Awesome. And he just won the D-Experience subscription, a big pile of awesome from Developer Express, one of our great sponsors. And if you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. We also like to ask our guests, uh, Bryce, if you had $5,000 US to spend right now on technology, and I know you've been thinking about this, 
what would you buy? So I, I would go for an advanced de uh, robotics development kit. Woo! Um, there's several options, and I would start building robots. Um, that's something nice. I've been wanting to do for absolute years, and um, to get into building serious robots. So um, either flying robots or hexapods, uh, but um, from scratch and big ones, right? You know, you, a, a rideable exapod, exapod wow. is what I would uh, try and build uh, out of $5,000. So yeah. Now, if you can make a robot that can play baseball with you. You know, you can do gaming <laughs> and robotics at the same time. Yep. <laughs> it's quite interesting. Like, um, robotics is some areas that overlap with game development, especially oh, when sure. you, you're talking about like agent behavior and, um, having, uh, autonomous robots and AI agents in the game. You start kind of hitting overlap areas that are quite interesting. So the, um, um the Microsoft Robotics Studio, which we talked about oh, ages yeah. ago. Had that great um, actor with, model, uh, asynchronous stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, because the real timeness of actually moving something physical around is very much like the real timeness of a game. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah. It's the same uh, set of problems. But you know, we, you've said a couple of terms in the first half of the show here, Bryce, that I think you sort of breeze past. I think everybody understands the value of art and the importance of art and the skill set that is art. Yep. But game design. It's yeah. one of those things where it's almost like a bicycle shed problem. Everybody thinks they can do it. Like, what does it take to really think through a good game design? And, and what are the tools for designing a game? So, um, I think that's, that's actually where games, where great games are made, right? The great games are, are not necessarily made, um, in the tech or, or the art. They're made in the design. Right. And it's all about, um, understanding your player experience, um, and, getting the right effect out of the tools you've got. So it's leveraging kind of the art, leveraging the story, leveraging the tech, leveraging the physics to tell, to create an experience for the player. So that's what the design is about, right? It's creating that experience. And there are many tools and techniques um, throughout the spectrum, right? So for example, game design to, uh, techniques for storytelling that matters in the game design. And there's also the kind of the harder, the crunchier um, aspect of game design, which is all about kind of the systems and the reward systems and the gamification aspects and yeah. um, how to trigger certain emotional states given um, the, the inputs. And that's a, another aspect of game design that's a lot crunchier. So for example, um, so when it depends what you're thinking about when you're talking about game design, but some people think, well, it's about, you know, balancing different factions in StarCraft, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, that is game design, but game design is, is more than just a crunchy numbers balancing. It's all about the experience for the player. To get to the point where the balance matters is a lot of game design. And, you know, I think I think of some of the, my favorite games of the past. You know, starting probably with Mist. Remember Mist? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just yeah. one of those games that you could tell had a lot of thought and a lot of story and art and everything behind it. And now it's no different than you know putting together a, a movie. I mean, you have all these different uh, skills that go into it that you have to really get a group of people together. Artists, storytellers, um, uh, even psychologists, even you know, or or, or social psychologists and economists uh, as well. Economists, in, in big yeah, games. yeah, right. And then the development is the execution of that vision. But uh, but I, I think the story and the and uh, comes first. Yeah, I, I mean, it it re it's it so depends what game you're making, right? It's it's, it's like it's so. Um, dependent upon what you're actually building and what you're working on fair point it's like saying game design is this means that you're kind of cutting off a whole bunch of games where game design happens um 
but it's not the same kind of like it's not the same kind of game design in say Gone Home is a very different kind of game design to totally. uh, Starcraft and they both have kind of a design aspect game design but it's really about the experience so the caring experience. about the experience caring about what the person is yeah is able to do um and things like looking at what the giving the player tools to create their own experience as well is really quite important. You know, it's almost akin to uh, Disney's Imagineers building Epcot, you know, and all those rides there. You're sort of built, you're, you're designing an experience. Yeah, and that, that's like a perfect analogy. Yeah. yeah. But there's, a, there's an evil side of this too. The whole Skinner box model of all <laughs> these, you know, the game is free, but if you want to get ahead, spend some money... Candy oh. Crush. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just couldn't swallow I, I that quite one. Hit, never mind. But yeah, no, like yeah, that, and that I mean that's exactly right. That's design. Um, I, I I I don't want to say use for evil, but um, it's it's design. Oh, it's um, evil. Use for the purpose of profit making rather than for <laughs> creating wonderful experiences. Well, it's degrees and, of evil. Okay, uh, like the the whole <laughs> Farmville Zynga. I find very little redeeming feature in those games. Yeah. Well, you, like you say that, but like my mum plays Farm yeah. like Farmville and a or bunch Candy of Candy Crush. Crush I guess is the sort of top in this species right now. Yeah. But like she enjoys it. She enjoys it. And who yeah, am I to take away? Yeah, exactly. Who am I to take away from her enjoyment by saying it's That's it's true. bad design when actually like I don't enjoy it. I wouldn't play it, but like she she genuinely enjoys the relaxation she gets um out of it. So I mean, yep. And the sense of accomplishment too, right? You you feel like yeah. you're actually doing something even though you're you know, you're playing a game. And uh, who am I to argue? I move electrons around and call them spaceships, That's right? right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a uh, the wargaming line of games, this has got nothing to do with Unity at all, but you talk about like the most extreme manifestation of this free-to-play, pay-to-get-ahead model. They make, those guys have like some of the best catalog, they, they're all World War II based gaming. They've got a, a flight game and a tank game and a ship game. But they've done, they're making enough money on that model where free-to-play, but you know, you can buy gold and get advantages that they're putting on huge events. They're now in the middle of restoring like rare old tanks. Wow. As part wow. of it. And it, it's really interesting. Russian company too. Like just very interesting that how far they've taken that business. And that brings us to the sort of gamification of anything. And gamification as a, as a word or as an idea of if you want people to learn something or do something collectively that, you know, either contributes to the greater good or or helps them with a skill or something like that, gamifying it. And I, I can't imagine that is going to be a huge, huge thing in the future. I mean, that's just, I think the problem there, you don't see a lot of stuff, is just lack of imagination at this point. Well, like in terms of gamification, what's really interesting is uh, that's one term for something that other people call, you know, good UX. Yeah. <laughs> um, Boy, I love that. Like, Can I quote you um, on that? That's yeah, brilliant. Keep yeah. that one around. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah, gamification. No, sure. It's good user experience. Yeah. Uh, that, that's it, right? So, like, and um, the, the tools we have for gamification uh, are like, well, how do you teach somebody to do something? Uh, in your product, if, if there's a compl complicated sequence of tech, if there's inherent um, complexity, how do you teach the user to kind of deal with that complexity mm. and well? And that's like that's just good UX, and um, it's it's got really interesting imp implications for things outside of technology as well. So, like um, designing your company, it's like 
game design is about designing systems for humans to engage humans and mm. uh, gamification is about de designing engaging systems and like right. everything's a system right so a company's a system a job app a job application process is a system um standing in line to order food is a system mm -hmm. um that kind of thing so it's like about making engaging systems and it has this negative connotation because we're kind of putting toys and childish things but actually Designing engaging system matters. It really matters. And it's going to matter more and more as a lot more things become systemized. Um, so yeah, I think like games, gamification is, is an all, it's a great trend. And, um, it's a shame that it's been associated with this idea of, um, you know, you earn points for, you know, clicking on a button or clicking on a cow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think about, I, I love this UX, uh, point of view on this because I think about apps that are very, compelling i think lots of folks are excited about slack and i wouldn't mm -hmm. call slack gamified but it's got one of those uis that mm. just draws people in it allows people to engage well and it that's powerful yep yeah i mean i mean it's not just like the in terms of slack thinking about gamification right you you have um, elements of game design in slack like the responsiveness to your action the reward mm. of the slack bot telling you oh well done for adding your name oh well done for doing this or well done for posting this mm, that's right. kind of the the immediate feedback on your action is kind of what gamification is about so you get that aspect then you get the reward of inviting somebody into slack which is really important it's like you've done an action that is kind of a goal for slack and um, they're rewarding that action by giving you something so that's that entire system is gamified in that way mm. so like reward incentives for referral is basically gamification but mm -hmm. we've had that for decades and nobody's called the gamification yet right that's really what it's about um, yeah no i yeah. totally agree incentives yeah mm. uh, are you a social economist then no I, I don't think so i don't think of myself as a social economist you sort I, of, i'm just a systems guy so well you yeah. said you know economics is a big part of game design as well and you know the, i think of the the popular socioeconomic things that have been uh you know in the news and been trendy lately like you know the freakonomics guys and uh and all of that it basically has to do with incentives and yeah. you like you're saying gamification is essentially the study of uh how people are incentivized to use a system or to use it properly or to uh come to a conclusion or or help some people or whatever it is whatever the goal is i guess i'm coming at it from instead of the 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 social aspect i'm coming at it from the systems aspect right mm. i i'm i'm thinking of you know um development uh, process as a system and uh, i'm seeing game I'm, you know digging into game design and i'm seeing things that have direct correlations to things i'm learning in agile um so mm. agile development it's like wait a second those things kind of talk about the same underlying principles uh, they're just having completely different domains and lenses all right so let me um, take this in a new direction and this is something that we talked about on the show we talked about a lot on the tablet show but uh you know apps phone apps that you'd yeah. use not necessarily for business, but, you know, things that you would use on, on an app that you would typically develop with, um, you know, well, let's say, you know, C Sharp uh, for Windows Phone. You would use iOS. You would use Xcode for iOS and Objective-C, and you would use Java. Well, and, uh, you, you know, you'd for, use cross-platform C Sharp or F Sharp right now. Well, you? of course you would. But there's <laughs> what I'm saying is there's lots of ways to develop these sort of standard UI apps. Yeah. Um, uh, is there a, a new case or um, a more urgent case or, or anything new in that area where we could apply, uh, where we could develop these applications using something like Unity 
you know, not only to get a, a unique look and feel and, and a s- consistent look and feel across all these platforms, but to do things in these apps that, um, well, shall we say are just a little more fun. Uh, yeah, for sure. And like I think, if I was like, going to write a rent a car app, you know, to, to book a rental car or a flight or anything like that, would, is there a way to do that in a Unity app that would be more fun? Yeah, yes. Um, but I think like the more fun part doesn't rely on Unity. Unity just gives you a tool that make it kind of uh, give you uh, tools to create kind of a visual experience that's m- more sophisticated and existing, mm. um, like platform, you know, standard, um, UI development toolkits. Mm-hmm. But I think like the fun part doesn't necessarily come from those bits. I think that's more about the design of your app. Um, and yeah, Unity can definitely be used to build this kind of, you know, uh, enterprise apps or, you know, standard line of business apps. Whereas, you know, you know you'll get some issues with things like, creating lists of things right. that handle well across scrolling across multiple screen sizes and stuff yep. um, because it's not really built to create those kind of UI experiences. Yeah, it's not adaptive, right? Right. So so you, what you want to do is is you don't want to design a normal app in Unity, you want to design a Unity app in Unity sure. and um that that can give you an enormous amount of leverage like a car rental place where you have 3D models of the car you're going to be renting yeah. and you flip through them one by one. Yeah, that's really engaging. Yeah. Um and you, but you have to start thinking more about how to build the app and then choose the toolkit. So it's like, how do I make an app engaging and then pick the right toolkit? I totally agree. Some of us have done WPF uh, development yeah. where, you know, the typical WPF experience is, okay, I'm going to do all the stuff that I did in my Windows Forms app, but I'm just going to mm-hmm. now do it in WPF. Yeah. And that, of course, yeah. you know, anybody will tell you that's not how you do that. Um, a, a list is is uh you know an adaptive group of of things it's just a group of things that you can maybe they're just like randomly scattered around the screen you can move them around and do things with them but they're just these objects they're these entities it's not a list of textual uh things that you need to select that kind of thing like so you you got it right man selecting things from a list is where people fall down in trying (laughs) to cross the uh you know, cross the chasm. It just seems it's, so it's, simple. Yeah. Um, and it never yeah, is. Like, it, it, you have to really kind of think it's no longer, yeah, it's, you don't think about, you're, you, you can't just bring the mindset from standard UI development and say, yeah, I'm going to move it into Unity because that's going to hurt you. You're going to get hurt. Mm. Um, and and it, I mean psychologically hurt. You're just going to get frustrated. Mm. Um, but if you if you start thinking, stepping back and say, if I remove the limitations from my mind, what can I build? Uh, and then you start doing stuff in Unity. That's probably the better way of doing it. Mm. Um, that sounds very Zen-like, you know. Like yeah, remove yeah. limitations from your mind and then start designing. Um, but, <laughs> there yeah, is a look to Unity apps. Like I've, I could now, when I see an app built with Unity, it's like ah, oh, that was built with Unity. Like there, there is something about there's certain core sort of core elements. The same way, it's really hard, you know, to make a Bootstrap website not look like a Bootstrap website. <laughs> Yep. Um, yeah, I mean, there are, and that's, um, I, I don't know whether that's true of Unity 5 and above, and that's definitely true of Unity 4.6, the UI f- of, of Unity 4.6 and below, or rather, below 4.6, rather. Um, and that's because the UI framework, um, has been, was somewhat limited, um, in how, how you could use it, uh, before 4.6. Mm-hmm. But since Unity 4.6, we've had a lot of 
really good tools for building cool UIs that are that are a lot less restrictive. So hopefully this trend will stop um, right now. Basically, this this trend of being able to tell it's a Unity app um, is is now over uh, because of the new UI framework, which is really powerful. So um, I think that was just what you're talking about, the kind of being able to recognize a Unity app because of the way it's building its UI is um, is an artifact of that old legacy UI system. Right. Um, mm. So, I mean, this this begs the question, are we starting to start looking at Unity as a way to just do regular cross-platform forms over data apps? Um, I, I, I don't know whether that's going to be the case. I think there are other tool sets that can kind of take that space yeah um but certainly it's if you're i think if you're building an app from if you're you know starting an app development it's worth considering like stop thinking about your app as in this is kind of the standard line of business app and think what am i trying to achieve and then if unity is the right tool set then pick that because it is a joy to kind of put something together really quickly in and um there is nothing quite like delighting a stakeholder with an app that has, you know, 3D movement in it and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's, it'll be like, that's cheap to do in Unity from a programmer's perspective. Um, and it'll really, um, delight your users if you're doing it and using it right. So yeah, I mean, I think it, it could really be, it's the, it, the potential hasn't been explored, I think is the bottom line. That's the potential for Unity hasn't been explored. You know, the real strength area. in Unity is this 3D capability. So. It's really about how easy it is to build 3D objects and understand 3D objects. And then, Carl, you're all over this. If HoloLens becomes what it should be, oh, yeah. we're mm-hmm. all going to need to be able to program in 3D well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like the future is going to be immersive like that, right? So it's not, you're, you're, you're going to have to start thinking about it. And that's one of the things that's really interesting about Unity. Uh, and that's, um, Unity isn't a game studio company. It's a VR company. Yes. Um, it, well, it's becoming a VR company because most of the toolkits and the SDKs for VR, uh, headsets and, uh, the HoloLens is one, Oculus Rift is another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Most of them have Unity dev kits. So Unity will, is the one that's going to start allowing you to do cross VR, uh, headset development. And it's one of the only one that can kind of do that. And, um, so it's positioned itself at the center of the VR, um, revolution and the ar um revolution um without depending on any one particular piece of technology so whether hololens does well or doesn't unity has put its bet into vr and not hololens which is really powerful Uh, for them it's it's a good place for them to be in i think okay one more thing blender what's blender Oh, right. So Blender is, um, what, what Blender isn't. So Blender <laughs> basically is, um, a tool that lets you do 3D modeling. That's a, a, a roughly, I'm sure the Blender advocates are going to look at me with, um, squinty eyes by saying, oh, what the hell are you talking about? But really that's the 3D modeling. That's what it's all about. 3D modeling. And then it gives you a bunch of animation tools as well. That's, so you can animate your 3D models and then a bunch of rendering tools. So you can render your 3D models as well. So you can use Blender to create, um, 3D art assets for a unique game you can use it to create um, photorealistic renders uh, you can use it to create um, animated movies you can yeah, use it to videos. create all those things yeah yeah I don't think I don't know whether you've seen all the um, blender foundation uh, movies that come out but they're always really good fun and they really show off the blender technology um, and they're, they're really quite cool so yeah it has quite a lot of power um, the one thing I would say with blender is it's um, it's it's not the um, 
<laughs> the nicest learning curves. Um, even Unity doesn't have a particularly nice learning curve, but Blender is, um, you kind of had to bring your climbing gear with you, I guess, um, when you get started. Mm. Uh, but once you start to master the tool, you can do some really powerful stuff in it. Um, and I, like my, my core, uh, my co-author on the Unity course is now working on a Blender course, actually, on, on Udemy as, Udemy as well. Um, so wow. that's in the pipeline. So, so yeah. where's the where's the overlap with Unity? I know there's a game engine in uh, Blender, but uh, how do they compare? What is the comparison if there is one? So I'll, I'll start with a disclaimer. Right? I'm not familiar with the Blender game engine um, oh, okay. at all, but I, I will know that it's in Python. So um, it's a Python game engine. It has some capabilities to do pretty cool stuff and certainly because you're using all the modeling and animation tools you can get some pretty sophisticated visual effects yeah but i think it, it lacks some of the um some of the tools that unity has so it might be great to build simple games but things like ai and stuff i don't think are, are as sophisticated as unity mm. and it also lacks the ability to kind of plug stuff in the i don't know the, the programming model seems from from what i know and i might be com- completely off base but mm. it doesn't seem to be quite as flexible as the unity one in terms of how quickly you can change stuff and create um complex behaviors um so i, I think it's it's great to prototype stuff, but I haven't yet seen a, a, a kind of a, a shipped game using the Blender game engine. And it's um, free at to blender.org. So, hmm. yeah. Uh, check it out. Yeah, definitely worth checking out. Blender is a pretty powerful tool, and um, you should check it out. And it's, it's But a is case it, of, it's the right tool for building 3D objects you want to use in Unity? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and the export pipeline, and they, they, f- they mesh in quite well together. Um, so you can do pretty good stuff with Blender and Unity, and the animation can be exported from Blender into Unity. And um, it also has uh, better mesh modeling and mesh um, creation tools than Unity does. So, for example, Unity is kind of restricted on uh, triangular triangles for your mesh surface, whereas Blender isn't. You can have arbitrary um, polygons. Polygons, yeah. thank you, um, for your meshes. So um, modelers really like Blenders compared to Unity. They kind of hate create, creating procedural meshes in Unity because you're restricted, uh, where the, they quite like to do it in Blender because you don't have all those restrictions. Hmm. So it has really, like, it's it's very complementary. And um, as a kind of skill set for a developer, um, whether you're a modeler um, or that's, you know, really good at 3D modeling, um, that's a really, you, you need to know how to kind of put your models into Unity. So you should learn a little bit of Unity. Or if you're a programmer who kind of knows how to build games in Unity, you should know at least how to model something very basic in Blender. So you can kind of have the, the language to discuss your game with other people, the ability to kind of shove a model in, even if it's a really simple one to kind of show what you mean. Sure. Yeah. So, um, there's a great talk by, Claire Blackshaw, um, who, who's talking, she talked about how not to be useless. And some of the <laughs> tips she gives is, um, if you're a, des- if you're a uh, designer, learn some scripting so you can kind of talk about your design to a programmer and kind of show them what you mean. If you're a modeler, know how to import your assets that you've modeled in Blender into Unity 3D so you can kind of uh, immediately be productive and help your team. And if you're a programmer, learn a little bit of um, 3D modeling so you can create an asset very quickly to start to keep the process going so you're not stuck um, in how you're going to create your game. You're not stuck when you're producing something to wait on somebody else. Um, if right, very sense. good. I mean, it's just a good skill for anybody, right? It's just know enough about the people around you and they, what they do so that you can communicate effectively and value what's hard. Yeah. 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 Good yeah, advice. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that talk she gave, How to Not, not to Be Useless, was fantastic. It's, it's, um, 
the the kind of what she talks about is not just about game development, although that's the domain she's talking from. It's actually just about life in general. <laughs> um, yeah. How not to be useless is kind of useful whether you're building uh, games or whether you're you know building tables. Really, so. absolutely. Okay, and let's get back to the offer that you're giving our listeners. Uh, learn to code by making games the complete Unity developer. It's normally $197, and uh, now you can take it for $29, 48 hours. We'll have a link on the website, but basically the coupon code is .NET Rocks Unity, D-O-T-N-E-T-R-O-C-K-S Unity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, um, I, I, I have a lot of friends who are massive .NET Rocks fan, actually. And, um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's cool to just give something back to the community, honestly. Um, and we do that for, um, so anything we, any, anybody we talk to, but for community events and community groups as well. So if you have a community groups and, and you want kind of, you're in the game space and you want to get, um, nice access to, um, your, to a, a Unity course, then give us a shout and get in touch and, and we'll work something out. And the ratings are through the roof. You have 11, uh, 1133 ratings. 1,038 of those are five stars. Congratulations. That's great. Yeah, fantastic. All right, Bryce, thanks again for talking to us. It's been a pleasure and um, we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.